Welcome to the Gradebook, a Tampa Bay Times podcast on Florida education issues. I'm reporter Jeff Solacek, and this week we're going to take a little extra time than our usual 20 or so minutes to reflect on a year after Parkland with interviews with three people who I think have some pretty interesting things to say. We're going to talk with Pinellas County Sheriff Bob Gualtieri, who is the chairman of the Public School Safety Commission that convened after the Parkland shooting. We're going to talk with Parkland teacher Sarah Lerner and her views about what happened, how she's feeling, and her thoughts about some of the recommendations coming out of the commission. And also we'll be talking with Gay Valamont, the leader of Moms Demand Action in Florida. They have been taking an active stance against arming teachers in schools, which is one of the recommendations that we will be focusing on in today's podcast. We're going to start off with our conversation with Ms. Lerner. Let's just jump right into it. Ms. Lerner, I really want to thank you for taking the time to talk with me on our podcast. Oh, thank you for having me. Now, you are, what, a teacher and a parent at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas? I'm a teacher at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas. I do have two children who um, go to school in our district, but they're not at um, my school. One's in middle school and one's in elementary school. Okay, so not my, my son, my son goes to middle school next door, um, but I don't have either of them at school with me. Okay, and were you and he on the campus or, or in the vicinity on the day of that school shooting? Yes, I was on campus, and my son was at school next door. Can you just you know share how that? time has passed since then, how it still affects you or if it still affects you? Oh, it affects me every day and it will affect me for the rest of my life. I go to therapy once a week. I um, avoid things that will be a trigger for me or that I know will make me uncomfortable. I, um, you know, I, I find support from my family and my friends, and I see, you know, the extension to which this affects so many people who were not at school, like my husband, like my children, my parents, my brother, my friends, you know, because they lived through it with me, just on the outside, trying to figure out what was going on while I was stuck on campus. We have read so many reports about the things that went wrong, the things that were right, analyzing every last minute and every detail. Do you read that stuff and do you feel like it rep- represents what really happened for for you? To be honest, I have not read the commission reports. I haven't I know what went on in the commission meetings, but I can't bring myself to watch the video and listen to the testimony and it just it would be too much for me. I think there are things that went wrong, but I feel like blame is kind of being placed in or being put in the wrong places. Um, 
I mean, I'm certainly not privy to inside information, so I don't really know, you know, how much I, how much I can actually comment or say, but I think that people are grieving, people are mourning, they want people to be held accountable, and they want swift action, but I think certain people are very quick to point fingers and place blame where it may not actually need to be placed. I know that people have called for the superintendent to be removed and for all sorts of other things to take place, programs to be changed. Um, Does that affect what goes on inside the school still to this day, all that conversation? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. There are... There are conversations about, um, you know, about the superintendent. There are conversations about the administrators who were removed from our school. There, I mean, there are all kinds of conversations related to things at the district level. But as a classroom teacher, you know, we don't have the power to change those school district policies well what happens with the students do they discuss it or is it more an adult conversation no i mean i don't talk about it with my students in my classroom but i hear the kids talking about things and i know you know some of them like the adults are very quick to you know place blame and want that swift action others feel like action needs to be taken, but it's being taken in the wrong direction. But, you know, we all lived through something, and it doesn't seem like much has happened to change, like, district-wide, not just at our school. Like, things are being given and done for us, but I don't think that it's being done across the whole district. And, you know... If it could happen at our school, it could happen anywhere. So all schools need to have the same safety procedures, the same, um, you know, security protocol and um, security measures like we have. One of the things that a lot of people are talking about is getting teachers to have the ability, if they want to, to carry a weapon in their classroom as a as a line of defense. I've spoken to people who mentioned one of your coaches there who had he had a gun, he could have stopped the shooter who was holding an unloaded weapon and trying to reload. Do you think that's a good idea? Would that help? Arming classroom teachers? Yes. No, I think that's the stupidest idea I've ever heard. There is no reason for a classroom teacher to be armed. You are there to educate, not work as security personnel. My job is to teach English and journalism and, you know, make a yearbook. I'm not there as security detail. I went to college to become a teacher. My degree is in English. And there are so many things that could go wrong, so many unknown variables if teachers are armed that it makes me incredibly uncomfortable just thinking about it. You know, I have two school-age children, and I would not in any way feel comfortable with them being in a classroom where their teacher was armed. I would not feel comfortable having a weapon in my classroom. I've never owned or held or been in close proximity with a gun, and I shouldn't have to 
to do my job. I was on CNN um, about eight days, I think, after um, the shooting at my school opposite a sheriff from Ohio who was a very strong advocate for arming teachers. And, you know, that was the day that the president said that teachers would get a bonus if they would consider being armed. I don't need bonus money to be armed. If you can suddenly find this money to pay teachers, put it in my paycheck. I don't even have money to adequate money to buy school supplies. But at the same time, if I had had a gun that day and the shooter entered my classroom, by the time I would have been able to access my weapon, I would have been shot dead. Like it would not have helped anyone in that classroom, or in that building rather, when he ambushed the first floor and then ambushed the third floor. So weapon, teachers having handguns wouldn't have made a difference, not to mention that a handgun is not a match for an AR-15. Do you think that there is something that could be done or should be done that they might recommend to do instead of that? I think that the money that would be spent on arming and training teachers could be put into having armed security guards at school, having, you know, better security procedures and, you know, locked gates, and that you need a certain key fob thing to get into a certain building. Like, I think those are things that schools across the county or country could do in lieu of spending resources to arm teachers. Because if something is happening on the other side of campus, me having a gun is not going to do anything. Likewise, if something's happening in my classroom, a teacher with a gun on the other side of campus won't help me. So when you, when you look at all this, I mean, you've, since you've lived it, do you think you see it differently now than you saw it before? Or do you still, are you, share, you holding the same sets of views before, as before? About, ar- about arming teachers? About, about all of the situation. I mean, I, I don't know many teachers who have actually had an armed former student walk on their campus and start shooting people. I mean, I was never his teacher. I don't know him outside of, you know, what he did to my school. Um, I I was 19 when Columbine happened, and when Sandy Hook happened, my son was in first grade just like those kids. So I've looked at these other two school shootings from a different perspective than I experienced this one. Columbine, I was, you know, three years older than some of those kids. Sandy Hook, I was a mom of the kid, of a kid the same age as those children. So, you know, living through this now as an educator on campus who lost students, you know, it's it's very difficult. And it it is something, like I said, that I will deal with and live with for the rest of my life. And you just kind of have to take it one day at a time. I use my voice. I speak out. I've become, you know, I've always been an activist, but I've become an even bigger one since this. I will speak up and speak out until there's no one left to hear me about changing gun laws in this country. And what exactly do you want to see happen? If you had the one thing that you think would be best... 
Um, I mean, we need to, in a perfect world, we should re-examine the Second Amendment, not take it away, but we don't need the citizens to be a well-armed militia like it was needed two, three hundred years ago. Um, there needs to be waiting periods. We need to do more with bump stocks and things that turn semi-automatics into automatics. We need to look at the mental health component and not allow people who have a history of mental illness to whatever degree it is to own a firearm. You should not be able to go to a gun show and just walk out with a weapon you just purchased. So there are lots of things that lawmakers need to look at, but they need to do it from a nonpartisan perspective because it doesn't matter what side of the aisle you sit on in a school shooting, you're all victims. Is there anything that the people who are advocating for things like teachers with guns and more activities like that, that you agree with? No, there's nothing that they say that I agree with. They clearly have never been in a classroom and don't understand what it's like to have between 20 and 40 children under your charge. And yes, you will do whatever you can to keep them safe, but having a loaded weapon in your classroom is not the answer. That's our conversation with Ms. Lerner. Now we're going to turn to Gay Valamont and our conversation with her. So Gay, I really want to thank you for taking the time to talk with me here on our podcast. Um, you're up there in, in North Florida and you get a chance to talk to the legislature a lot about these issues, don't you? We do. Um, last week, we had over 500 volunteers throughout the state meet in Tallahassee um, Tuesday of last week on the 6th, and um, or Wednesday, excuse me, and we spoke to over 89 lawmakers about not arming teachers. Why is this such an important issue for you? How did you even get involved in this in the first place? Um, I started with Moms Demand Action Right after Pulse happened, um, I was one of those people that um, that complained a lot about um, about guns and the proliferation of guns and, and didn't really do anything about it, but complained about it. And then after Pulse, it kind of hit home. Um, I have I work in sports medicine, so I've spent my career working in um, in inner city schools, actually in Atlanta when I lived in Atlanta. And um, I see how gun violence um, inadvertently um, affects the black community more so than the white community. So it, it was I, I felt compelled to get involved. I um, mean, and our organization um, does a lot of great things, a lot of great research, and um, a lot of powerful men and women that um, that really want to to change the way our gun culture has has proliferated. And so guns in schools is a non-starter for you. It is. It is absolutely a non-starter. Um, we know that through research that just the very presence of a gun um, makes our children less safe. Um, we would like to see, you know, measures taken to make sure that people that should not own guns or should not have guns um, don't have access to them. Um, instead, our 
Education Committee has decided to put a Band-Aid on this and um, to make our kids feel safer when in, in actuality they are, are less safe. And so this has really hit home with Moms Demand Action because um, this isn't something that's not close to each and every one of us. These are public schools throughout Florida, and my child is in first grade. Um, and my child knows way more about gun violence prevention than the majority of, of children. But he is, he's still a boy and he's still a child and he is, you know, he still hugs his teacher. And now we have the possibility of his teacher carrying a sidearm and it is just unacceptable. What about the arguments that people like Sheriff Gualtieri have made that this is something that we need to do because another shooting is going to happen and having two people who are armed is better than one and three is better than two and, and we can't afford enough police and so this is a, a way to provide a deterrent. Well, I appreciate um, the work that the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas um, Commission did by going through each and every step of that horrible, horrible day. Um, I cannot imagine how daunting that was. However, um, Sheriff Galtieri has not been able to produce any evidence that would have, that even suggests that if a teacher had a weapon, that that would have stopped the shooting in the first place. Um, you know, they pointed out many, many mistakes that that happened that day with the school resource officer and with the police not going in the building immediately and with um, nobody calling a, a code red to, sh to close down the school building. But more time has been spent on, on the fact that teachers needed to be armed instead of making sure that those things never happen again. Um, there were several recommendations um, in their report, but this one came to the top, and it is just outstanding. It's just amazing that that is the conclusion they came to with zero evidence that, that that's possible. Um, you know, trained police officers um, in a stressful situation hit their target 20% less during a stressful situation. And that is with many, many more hours of, of, uh, of training and experience. It's plain and simple that, that teachers are not equipped to do that, um, nor should we ask our teachers to do that. Their job is hard enough. Are you not convinced that because it would be voluntary that that it would be for just the very few people who feel comfortable and who pass all the screenings and get all the training does that not offer any sort of positive aspect to it um no it, it really doesn't um the people that we have seen i mean there's been report after report about people um guardians and these uh the security guards um putting their weapons on the counter and children finding them in the bathroom and um, teachers dis, you know, there's a, there was a teacher in Georgia that had a, had a gun and um, blocked himself in a, you know, in a closet and started shooting. It just is not, I just don't know how that is safe. Um, no matter what sort of, 
you know, the hours of training that they say they're going to have. Um, no, that's not, that's not good enough. And it shouldn't be good enough for any parent. Um, Florida is one of the richest states, um, in the country. And for our state to say that they cannot find money to, to hire resource officers is, um, is, is, is they're scapegoating. Well, we've seen seen that resource officers didn't exactly do the trick in Broward County either. I mean, maybe people don't trust resource officers and they think that teachers or people in the school who are right there, they've prevented more things than even an officer has before they can even get there. Um, and I think that that's probably a, a valid point. However, I just, anybody that is required to do double duty cannot do the one thing they're supposed to do effectively. You know, we want our teachers to go in and educate our children. Um, we want our resource officers to do nothing but protect our children. That's their job. Um, nobody should be expected to do um, double duty. You can't do both things well. And and I just think that it is grasping at straws to, to assume that our teachers are capable of doing that. You know, teachers are already overworked and underpaid, and now you're going to ask them or make them feel, I feel like this is probably, you know, going to push people to um, to want to arm themselves. Um, you know, nobody nobody agreed that this was a good idea until, um, until uh, Sheriff Galtieri decided that he, this is the stance he would take. Um, I think it's a, a gross misuse of his office to to state these as facts um, when there's no, that he cannot prove that. In fact, we have, we have evidence that or research that shows that it's quite the opposite. It's just, it's, it's unacceptable. You know, Florida teachers don't want it. Um, Florida um, parents don't want it and kids don't want it. Um, and so it's, it's a leap of faith. I guess they could just say no, perhaps. They could, they could absolutely say no. And the majority of school systems out of 67, only 25 have taken part in the Guardian program and only two have actually taken part in the Guardian program in its, in its original way that it was intended. Um, the rest of the schools have decided to hire security guards, which again is just one person doing one job. Um, and, and that's what you know, we don't oppose that. That's fine. Um, but the majority of schools don't want this. And, and we have seen that. So we still have hope that, um, that school systems will decide that this is, number one, too costly. Um, insurance, I don't know how liability insurance would possibly be affordable to arm teachers. Um, and, I, and, I, and I hope that educators or, or administrators um, just don't see this as a way out. Do you see anything in the Public Safety Commission report that you like better? Are other better ways to do it to get the schools to be safe, to have a deterrent effect and a preventive effect? Oh, well, absolutely. I mean, there's there's certainly many other ways that we can make sure that our schools are safer. Um, and But it requires money. You know, they went into a big... I've been in all the hearings. So it is, there's been issues about having open campuses and no fence and all the money that that's going to take to make our, our schools secure, um, which I think is 
it, it's ridiculous that we're, we, we're even discussing the money that it's going to take to make sure our kids are safe. Um, Florida has the money to spend. Um, in fact, my, my child's school, I got a message yesterday from his elementary school that said, as of today, um, the doors will be locked at such and such time. To come through the doors, you have to show an ID, a picture ID. You will be buzzed in. You will have to check in. Um, when before, people were just walking in and out of the door. I mean, there are ways to secure schools. Um, there are ways to make sure that people that shouldn't have guns don't have guns. Um, this is is just a quick fix that's not going to work. What's, uh, I guess you say quick fix, and I wonder what's wrong with a quick fix until we can get to one of those more lengthy and expensive fixes. Well, when I say quick fix, I, I think it's, I think they're trying to come up with things that are going to make parents or make people feel safer or like they're they're taking action to do something, um, but it, it's just simply flawed. I mean, it's. Um, I don't think it's going to fix it, so maybe that was the wrong way to phrase it. But it's um, it, it's to make us feel safer, and it's not going to do that. So you're saying a false sense of security, in other words? Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And I think this is on the on the lawmakers as well. I think it makes them feel like they are doing um, doing something when they are completely going through the back door instead of instead of, you know, passing background checks on all gun sales um, that would make sure that domestic um, violence abusers um, don't get weapons or um, different measures that we can take, shoring up our um, closing the loopholes in our background check system. You know, a quarter of, quarter of people that purchase guns um, do it perfectly legal from an unlicensed dealer on the Internet or at a gun show. And so until we have background checks on all gun sales, we're going to have people that, that own guns that have, have had zero background check. Those are the things that we need to do. We need to make sure our schools are safe. We need to make sure that people that shouldn't have guns don't have guns. What we know is that the more guns, you know, if we were, we would be the safest nation in the, in the world if more guns made us more safe. But instead, we're the most dangerous country in the world when it comes to gun homicide. So then what do you see people being able to do when it looks like a piece of legislation like this is moving forward and the legislature has heard you and your group, have heard others, and and they're going this way? Is there is there a compromise? Is there something that somebody can do? Or do you think that we're just going to have to see through this wave and see where it takes us? Well, I think that the average person... Um, did not know this was happening. I think the average Floridian and the average parent that's not plugged into gun violence prevention every day had no idea that this vote was happening. Um, the, PT, the PTA groups knew, um, we knew, but we follow this stuff all the time. Um, I've gotten several messages this morning from people, oh my God, did this really happen? Yeah, and so what we need to do is make sure that parents reach out to their administrators, their school administrators, their um, their school boards, because ultimately it will be the school boards that make the decision. And with this law, now it mandates that that if the school board wants to take part in, in this guardian program, the way that it is changed now, um, then the sheriff sheriff's offices have to comply and have to create this, this guardian program. 
in the district. So what we're hoping is that most school districts, like it is now, will, will not want to opt into this. Um, but parents need to speak up. Parents have to speak up, as well as teachers. Next up is our conversation with Sheriff Gualtieri. Let's take a listen. Sheriff, I really appreciate you taking the time. I'm I'm really interested in this this key issue that we have before us. People are really taking a lot of concerns over whether we should have armed teachers in our schools. And you've turned on that issue a couple of different times. I'm sure you've mulled it over. Why are you recommending now that it's an important thing to look at? Well, what's vitally important in this is that people first recognize that this is going to happen again. As hard as that is to say, it is going to happen again. The question is when, the question is where, and I think the most pressing question that everybody should be asking themselves and trying to answer is what have we done differently or what are we going to do differently that's going to drive a different outcome than what happened at Stoneman Douglas on February 14th of 2018. And if we don't do anything differently and we expect there's going to be a different outcome, then we're not being realistic. The other thing that's vitally important is that people put ideology, philosophy, and what they want aside and come to terms with reality and what the objective facts show and what realistically can be done. So, you know, in a perfect world that doesn't exist, you'd say, well, teachers should teach and cops should be cops. And the, the two shouldn't be in the same pot and let each do their own craft. Well, that's not reality. Uh, and here's why is, is that what we know from fact, and this is one of the things that um, has caused me to change my view on it is objective fact. And there's too much rhetoric and there's too much turning this into ideology and, and politics. Put it aside. We got to keep kids safe. Here's the facts. Over the last 20 years, there have been 46 active shooter events in K through 12 schools in the United States. 43 of those were committed by insiders. That's students or former students, people with authorized access. So the reality is, is that all these single ingress and hardening and all this stuff isn't going to make a hill of beans difference because they're authorized to be where they are. The majority are done with handguns, which means people can easily conceal them and quickly produce them. The majority of the events are over in less than four minutes. And the majority of these 46 are stopped by school personnel. Nicholas Cruz, on the first floor of Building 12 in Stoneman Douglas, shot and or killed 23 people in one minute and 44 seconds. Before that failed, sorry excuse for a cop of Scott Peterson, ever got from his office to the door, and he should have gone in. But when he got to the door and ran away, there were already 23 people shot and or killed. The schools are no different than the community. Cops can't be everywhere all the time. We have to have people in place that can mitigate the harm because one person shot is too many, but one is better than 34 than what happened at Stoneman Douglas. So unless we are willing to have the people in the place at the moment to stop this, then we're going to continue to have mass casualty events. It has to be stopped as soon as possible. Then you couple that with this is that Nicholas Cruz had an unloaded gun. And this is something people need to hear on, hear me on. He had an unloaded gun in that school five times because he had no high-capacity magazines. People turned this into, oh, it's a high-capacity weapon issue. It's not. When he shot those first four kids on the first floor, he only had six rounds. 
at one point, and I've seen it on video and counted it, he had an unloaded gun for over eight seconds. Eight seconds is a long time. When Chris Hickson, athletic director, charged into that building to try and do something unarmed, and he was shot. And he crawled across the floor to a place of hiding. He had to sit there and watch as Nicholas Cruz advanced on him. And Chris Hickson was a 20-year Navy veteran, a military police officer, a concealed carry permit holder, somebody that undoubtedly would have tried to save his own life. But because of policies that say people like Chris Hickson can't have guns, then Chris Hickson was executed. Well, let me ask you this, Sheriff. Chris Hickson should be able to defend themselves. Sheriff, can I ask you this? Because what happens if it's not a Chris Hickson there? What if it's a me, Jeff Solacek, somebody who's never touched a gun in his life, who happens to be there? So, okay. So, and that's what I'm saying to, to you and to others. Listen to what I'm saying. I'm not saying and never have said and don't say go out and arm all teachers. What I am saying is, is that do it in a very uh, selective way, a surgical way, a lasered way. What I'm saying is, is that two is better than one and three is better than two and four is better than three. And I'm not saying that when you issue the teacher credentials that you issue guns. There shouldn't be in mass arming of school personnel. It should be very selective and people who are willing to do it, want to do it, have the right mindset, who only volunteer for it. And that three is better than two and four is better than three and five is better than four. You may have a campus that have ten. You may have a campus that have zero. We don't need hundreds. We just need to give people a fighting chance and those who have the right mindset and the desire and, importantly, are willing to go through a rigorous selection process, which means polygraphs and drug screens and psychologicals and full field backgrounds, and then a rigorous training process for weapon retention, for site acquisition, for shoot-don't-shoot scenarios. And not just initially, and, and here's another misnomer that's out there. People talk about the Guardian program and how we need uh, people who are better trained than what these guardians are. And here's a reality, Jeff. Here's an absolute reality, and people need to use the facts. Guardians are required to have more training before they can be a guardian than what police officers get in the police academy required, required by the state of Florida. So don't give me this, that, uh, well, they're, they're not properly trained. They're, they receive more training required by law than what police officers get in the police academy. So you start putting that all together, and then here you can get a couple of this into the equation is that even if we say that it's better to have cops, there are simply not enough cops. Right now in the state of Florida, there are about 1,500, 1,500 openings for police officers in the state of Florida. We have about 4,000 schools. About half of those schools don't have SROs. So where are we going to get 3,500 cops to put one in every school and fill all the existing openings? It's not going to happen. So we're having all this dialogue, we're having all this debate, we're having all this discussion about what should happen. We have gaping vulnerabilities in these schools. And we have people that are capable of doing it, who want to do it, that can go through the process. So when you have that plan operator, you have that assistant principal, you got that counselor, you got that coach, or occasionally that teacher, is that why shouldn't they be allowed to do it? Because I am not talking about in mass arming school personnel. And when people say, well, I'm concerned about X, Y, and Z. You know what? I'm going to share those same concerns, but those concerns can be mitigated. And when they say that, well, uh, you know, this person I know who's a teacher, uh, I wouldn't want that person having a gun because, I, uh, uh, you know what? I may not want them carrying a gun either. That's why you go through a rigorous selection process. What, rigorous what about training. that, Sheriff? I, there was a comment yesterday in the Senate committee where one woman stood up and said, what with stand your ground laws, what if you have a teacher who gets nervous about a big kid coming at him and suddenly shoots a kid and uses that as a defense? 
Well, that's why you properly screen them and train them. But here, here's the deal, okay, is, is that we can come up with all the what-ifs. And we can come up with the parade of horribles. Well, what if the teacher drops the gun? What if the teacher uh, does this? What if the teacher does that? Okay, okay, we can have that parade of horribles. We can, we can do everything possible to mitigate all of those potential uh, bad things that can happen. But I'm telling you, from somebody who's watched the video of the shooting, who's listened to the kids scream on uh, video, who has been in that building, there is no greater parade of horrible than dead kids. And so this world is not perfect. And this world has a lot of vulnerabilities and a lot of opportunities to do it differently. And if we're going to sit here and we're going to you know, get down and get hung up on that parade of horribles, then we're not going to change. And, well, then how and do you, don't how, expect a different outcome. Then how do you convince some of these teachers and parents who are coming out and saying they don't want this, they don't feel safe by having more guns in schools, they want fewer guns in schools? What do you say to them to make them feel comfortable? Well, first of all, I say they don't understand the facts, and they need to listen to the facts, and they need to, to be realistic about it. And the other thing I say to them is this, is, is that I've had a lot of people raise a lot of um, concerns on a number of different issues, and I really think the more people are educated and take the time to understand, then they will feel more comfortable with it. So, you know, as an example, one of the things that people bring up is, well, you know, how are you going to avoid a good guy on good guy situation? There are ways to mitigate that, and just like we do with undercover personnel, et cetera. There are ways that we can have people quickly and easily identify themselves. What about a teacher dropping a gun out of a holster? Very easily dealt with through uh, the proper uh, uh, double-step retention holsters. There's all kinds of ways. So the more people learn about it and the more educated they are and the more fact they use, then I think that they will become more comfortable with it. A lot of it is because they don't understand or take the time to understand what exactly is being proposed and the rigorous process that it entails and that the need is absolute because you can't have cops that do this. And do you want to leave these schools open and vulnerable as they are today? Because take Stoneman Douglas, 45 acres, 16 buildings, 3,300 students, 200 staff. One cop on that campus or one good guy with a gun on that campus is not going to stop the next incident and it is not going to mitigate that harm. You're going to end up with mass casualties because there's not somebody there that can stop it. So you end up with one or two versus 33, 34, 35. And so I hear them, but... This is what we have to do in order to create a different environment so that these kids have a fighting chance because otherwise it is going to happen. The question is when and where, and if we haven't changed what we're doing, then don't expect a different result. Now, do you think that this is the best of all the recommendations coming out of the commission? Because you had a huge, thick book filled with recommendations, and this is the one that everybody's focusing on. Is there something else that people should be looking at instead? Yeah, of course. Of course they're focusing on it. But, but, but it, it, there's a, there is a whole bunch of great recommendations. The recommendations along this line are in the group of what I call the harm mitigation recommendations. The harm mitigation recommendations are those that should be implemented right now, today. They cost little to nothing, and the only barrier is the will of the decision maker to say do it. Then you've got the other side, which are the prevention measures that are going to take time, that are extremely costly, that require policy change, rule change, law change, etc. 
So there's a whole bunch uh, on both sides, but what we have to really move people on now are the harm mitigation. And in that bucket of harm mitigation, one is, is making sure that you have active assailant response policies for every district and every school in the state of Florida. And you know, even a year later, as we now tomorrow <laughs> are approaching the one year anniversary, is that not every school in every district even has a, an active assailant written response procedure in place. We have schools that are supposed to be drilling every month that aren't doing drills every month. So it, it is simplest form in order to make a difference. You have to do three things and then I'll add the fourth in. One is you have to be able to identify the threat. You have to be able to communicate the threat to others and have the right infrastructure in place so that they can react to the threat and get to the safest place possible. And then the fourth is to stop it as quickly as possible. That's what we should be focusing on. And in that realm, there are a bunch of very significant recommendations, only one of which involves additional personnel being armed. Now, remember, is, is that you got 67 counties, 67 districts in Florida. The law today, without getting into this whole teacher thing, the law today allows non-teachers to participate in the guardian programs. And why are the school boards in this state being obstacles to allowing the Chris Hicksons of the world, the athletic directors, the counselors, the assistant principals, all those people that the law allows today, you know what the obstacle to it is? The holdup is to it? It's the school boards. Well, maybe they trust Maybe they trust you guys who are trained law enforcement officers more than they trust their teachers to carry guns or their principals or whatever. Did, did you not listen to what I just said? I did. I'm just saying that maybe that's their perspective. Then they're wrong. Then listen to what I'm saying and don't twist it around. There's not enough. Right. There's not enough. So, so how are you going to get how are you going to get at a campus like that, in, in the campuses across Florida, how are you going to get a cop there in time? You're not. And there's not enough to go around. We need 3,500 cops. We only hire about 10% of the applicants. So there's not enough, and there's not enough money. So why, why won't the school boards authorize those people who have the right skill set, who are uh, volunteers who want to do it, who are interested or are willing to go through rigorous selection and rigorous training, why not? Why not do it? Why, why shouldn't a guy like Chris Hickson, who charges into that building, a guy like Aaron Feist, who charges into that building, unarmed, and the data tells us that in the last 20 years, the majority of these events are stopped by school personnel, not cops, why shouldn't those people be able to protect themselves and have a chance at defending those kids? Did you have because a... we don't like it. I don't like dead kids. I hear that. Now, I know you met with some superintendents the other day. Did you have a conversation that you felt like took you to a good place on to how to resolve some of your concerns? I think we had a, a, a productive discussion, but ultimately it's not up to the superintendents. It's up to the school boards. <laughs> you know, and, and the school boards are the ones that have to authorize the guardian program. The superintendents can't authorize it. Okay. Well, I really appreciate you taking the time to talk with me. Is there anything that I'm not asking you that I probably should that would give me a, a good answer to something that people want to know about? <laughs> well, there's a lot of stuff. I mean, we're just not going to be able to cover it all, you know, in, in the short amount of time that you have. And, and there is a tremendous amount, uh, and, and there's a, a tremendous amount of things that uh, need to be done. Uh, there are things that have been done, uh, but we need to take it to a new level. And uh, continue to advocate for that in the interest of making sure that these schools in the state of Florida are as safe as they can possibly be. And there is a lot. Um, but the immediate thing 
again, is harm mitigation. And that's really what the uh, focus needs to be. And it can be done if everybody has the will to do it. Communication systems. You can't have people standing at a gate to watch who comes through and they don't have any way to communicate the threats they see. We've got that today in the state of Florida. We have schools in the state of Florida that don't have marked or identified safest areas in classrooms. How can the Broward County School District, one year after Stoneman Douglas, where kids literally died on the line because they couldn't get into the safe areas because they were pushed out because they're full of desks and immovable objects, how can that district today not have a formal, hard corner or safest area policy or procedure in that district? It, that, to me, it's unconscionable. Why do we still have that? Because people aren't recognizing that this is going to happen again. And like the sentiment was in Parkland, oh, this can't happen here. It can happen anywhere in any community in the state and in this country. And people need to realize that the needle needs to move. And if it doesn't move, then we haven't done what we need to to drive a different outcome. Sheriff, thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me. I appreciate it. Okay. All right. Take care. Take care. That's the end of our conversations and the end of our podcast. If you'd like to participate, please feel free to chime in on our Facebook page, Tampa Bay Times Gradebook. Always feel free to go and check out the latest in Florida education breaking news on our blog, tampabay.com slash gradebook. And please keep listening to this podcast, share it, and subscribe. We would like to reach as many people as possible. I'm reporter Jeff Solacek. Thanks again for listening.